sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain Soak Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Welcome back, podcast fans. This is Moving the Needle Podcast, and this is our Crank Brothers Race Review. It's going to be with me, and I have a host of guests that join me today. It will be Alan Milway. You'll recognize him from coaching some of the top stars in the world, as well as a Crank Brothers ambassador, as well as he did the Fort William one, which you guys seem to enjoy. Now, Crank Brothers, they are synonymous with downhill racing. They celebrated their 11th year in a row of elite world champs titles last year with Amala DH. And they just went three for three here in a Leo gang with Cami Blanchet, Lucas Shaw, Bernard Kerr, likes of Laurie Greenman. They are running the shoes as well as the pedals. So we know how much passion they have for racing. And uh, that's why I've got Alan with me. He is a diehard race fan as well as a coach to some of the best. Alan, have you warmed up? Because that was one of the wettest, coldest Leo gangs I've ever witnessed. Oh, it was a tough one, wasn't it, Andrew? Um, yeah, it was a shame. I don't know if you've been catching up with some of the boys who stayed that stayed out there on social media. They're having fun on the mountain with their tops off, riding up the hills. And I just said to George, actually, from Crank Bros this morning, I said I was really jealous because I spent, I think, 14 hours or something on the hill, <laughs> freezing cold feet and wet. Um, it was a battle, wasn't it? It was. It was Obviously, it was really great to see you there. And I think you probably felt the same as me. There's a lot going on, a really tough track, and it produced some amazing racing. Yeah, I mean, if you tuned in as a as a fan to the Red Bull uh, feed, you would have just seen pretty good weather, some you know, some mad, slippery conditions, challenging. But you wouldn't. It doesn't tell the whole story. Like to get to the race run, as we know, is a whole week long preparation as well as an off season but that one especially was pretty interesting to manage i think the mental side the challenges it's not often you see the best riders in the world you know for lack of a better term puzzling and greg was one of those guys but everyone i had to keep telling the riders look everyone is feeling like you feel everyone is struggling yes there were some standout guys that were committed from pretty early on but it also didn't flow the bottom wood section you know, it was really difficult to ride. And I think it hurt some people's confidence. Yeah, I agree. And what you sort of touched on there, I think is something where during this podcast, we can probably build the picture of the race so much more for people because, um, practice was horrendous. Um, but track walk was in blazing sunshine and we could walk the track on a lovely, warm, hot, sunny day and a lot of it was fresh. They're quite good there now. I, I think Leah Gang used to get bashed a bit, didn't it, for just being a bike park track and being too easy and not having any lines to it. And they've made some changes. And it really is a track of two halves. But the, the top bike park section, they they taped it differently. There were some fresh lines. The off-camber looked brand new again, didn't it? But through practice, practice was just a really wet, boggy affair. And, and the riders had to adapt to that. They had to adapt lines. They went from one line to another, then back again. And by race day, um, I was still, there were still a couple of options on the hill. And I think by race runs, the main line was pretty much dry and it wasn't really worth going off the main line. There are just a couple of 
questions. I know some of the boys were, I literally had to feedback, like I talked about in Fort William, where we were trying to feedback live. We had someone in the woods to send some feedback up to the top because Andy Cobb didn't know whether he wanted to change tires onto the dry. And, you know, it's, it's all of these things that go on behind the scenes and that makes it so much more difficult for the riders. There's not always a, a clear straight option. And when you go up to that race run knowing you might be on completely different tires than you've been running a week, you might have to change line from what you'd really like to do, but you've got to have that confidence to go full gas from top to bottom. Yeah, it was fascinating. We, we spotted it early in the week. So course walk was in the dry, horrendous practice. And, and we, the riders had to be aware that if you look at the weather report, you could see there probably would be sun come Saturday. But knowing that the woods wasn't going to dry out. So for me, it was almost two halves to the weekend as well. It was get through practice, uh, manage those expectations, and get through quali. And then the race, as you said, the, the track was drying. So the top half, we all knew was going to be bone dry. So you could open up some dry lines. You could be more committed um, and maybe risk it and ride dries at the top because it would have been way better. And then you had to maybe just nurse it a bit in the woods or vice versa, tire choice, stay on your cut spikes or whatever your wet tire of choice was, knowing that if you push too hard in those bike parky gravel berms, like you could you know, lose some time or have a crash, but then you could attack the bottom. So, yeah, it was an interesting thing to manage, I think. And some riders do that better than others, are aware of how different the race run's going to be. And like Laurie, I mean, he hit a section faster than he's ever hit. Greg Minar hit that berm faster than he could ever practice it because the conditions weren't dry enough to hit that berm that fast. Well, this is it. I, I... Those two riders, there's some really interesting differences between them. Like I obviously was doing a lot with Greg over the weekend and Laurie's in the same tent and Greg stayed on his wets and Laurie went to dries and Laurie wanted to take that time at the top and maximize that top section. And I guess his gamble was, look, if I can really put the hurt on everyone in this top section on my dry tires in the dry, then will I lose much in the woods? And Greg was almost going for the opposite approach. Greg was saying, as long as I'm close enough at the top, I'll be able to really go for it and put some damage through the woods because they are still wet. And Laurie in the top split was three seconds. He took three seconds out of everyone, which is unbelievable in such a short period of time. I've got all the stats and I was looking through them and it's, it's mad to look at it. You know, 46 seconds in the start to split one. And the second place was Angel Suarez, who did it just over three seconds back. So that's over six and a half percent slower in the very first sector. And so I looked at that, yeah. and correct me if I'm wrong, is it still manual timing, those splits? I thought, there, is there not a guy there with a thumb to do the splits? Or am I totally off kill here? I, I don't know if it's manual. Like, I think he was fast, but I mean, three seconds in 49 seconds of track is like well, unheard of. I, yeah, it's incredible. I think that they have got these um, loads more sector times going through. I don't know if it's I, – I thought it was all electronic. Yeah, I but think like the Red Bull the, timing and stuff is. I just don't know if I've yeah. seen those guys. Yeah, in those sectors, I think it is. School. Yeah, I think I think you're a bit old school, Andrew. We, we all know I there's a little so. bit of old school in both of us. Yeah, there's yeah, – the technology technology's <laughs> but, come on a little bit. Definitely. But yeah, it's fascinating. It's cool to see that a tire choice, there's 
that tire choice and strategy can play a role depending on uh, how the rider feels or, or what he wants, to, how he wants to gamble. You exactly. know, the woods, most, it was very rutted, um, super slick. So maybe that is where dries wouldn't be too bad because of how rutted it was and stuff. But uh, it was interesting to see the strategy for sure uh, play out there. Yeah, and I, I don't think that Greg had been jumping into that berm because that that berm where he, he sort of slingshotted into it and he jumped into it in his race run, that's something that's Brooks done before. And you you have such a G-force out of there. And if you're on muds, there's a bit more rolling, isn't there, in the tyre. So potentially that wouldn't have helped him maintain with such compression forces when he got spat out and he got spat out low. And if you were to go... 20 feet behind that berm, we've got the famous Andrew Neefling wall ride where exactly the same thing happened to you at World Champs a few years back. Didn't we? Very, very similar, just going the other way. It's similar because the track was drying out and uh, you want to try hit things as fast as a race run would be. You want to simulate these things. But if you haven't got a chance that week, you've got to sort of, you know, risk it. And Greg was so committed and the line he was on was a little bit inside. So there's more G, side, G out you know, the lower he is on that berm. So you just have to commit and hope that your tire doesn't roll. But it's the knobs of the of the spikes for sure. But as well as the tire just rolls on the rim. It's just how it goes and then it spits yeah. you out. So yeah, he took it took yeah. a big risk. No, but yeah. I mean I, I must say it, it was challenging for him. I I don't know if he was that comfortable with it all week. I, I haven't seen him maybe look look at lines i mean he likes to look at lines don't get me wrong i don't think he was his exact self um at leo gang to what i've seen and and also i mean small things so i saw him look at a section push up drop in some rider in front of him unintentionally didn't get his back wheel out the track in mm. time and greg hit the guy's back wheel over the bars down into the next section on his head, shoulder, covered in mud. I mean, it just adds insult to injury. So there's other things to deal with, you know, at a, at a weekend like that. Yeah. There was a lot of crashes, wasn't there? In practice, I, I was speaking to Luke Myers-Smith, who'd struggled to get one clean run in all weekend for one reason or another. And it's a problem. I always seem to, as you probably would have had this this weekend as a coach on the side of the track we're trying to do our job and um, there is a lot of battles that go on because we're getting into the b zone and we're sort of mixing with the marshals and for people who maybe haven't been to a world cup race you have the tapes that dictate where you can ride on the track if you go outside those tapes you're penalized and but outside of that those tapes there's another set of tapes maybe two meters back again and that creates this sort of safety zone. They call it the B zone. And the camera crew will be in there. The marshals will be in there. And then uh, coaches or team members who've got a specific bib and accreditation, we can get in there too. So we can look at the lines, film our riders, feedback, and actually chat to the riders. You know, they can pull over to the side and practice and we can go through something. Now, one of the problems I was having and I thought was really dangerous in those bottom woods was the marshals you're you're having professional riders risking everything life and limb money on board and then you've got a marshal who is blowing a whistle because it's in his mouth he's not necessarily got a handle on which flag he should be using and 
that was a real struggle for me because I saw a couple of crashes that could have been avoided because the marshal hadn't really thrown his flag in the rider's face to say, whoa, stop, or yellow flag, be really aware there's someone on track who's fallen over. And it, it, it caused a lot of issues. And it's something that, you you know, it's frustrating because someone can injure themselves because someone's come off on the track around a blind corner and they've committed a lot of that, that section in the woods. You had to commit early. You couldn't stop mid-corner or mid, you know, that, that steep section. Once you're into it, you're fully committed, feet up, looking ahead of you and you're carrying a lot of momentum so in practice i think there was quite a lot of problems yeah i mean and also some of the places where the marshals were like you said once you drop in even if someone put a gun to your head and said can you please stop before that next turn it's not happening (laughs) you it takes you 30 meters to stop but no unfortunately you know they're probably volunteers and it's awesome to have them out there they're enjoying it and uh, putting up with the weather but you've got to have have a system, a whistle, the flag, but then two flags up. That's where the stop needs to happen. Hey, this is exactly. a flag section. So yeah. it's a bit of education that has to sort of be put into that. Um I'm at I'm also of the opinion and Danny, um just for uh, you guys, definitely stay till the end or I'll throw in I've got some cool rider interviews that I'll drop into this episode. But Danny is very good in the the, the rain. We know that. But he yeah. wanted a fair race, right? So he said, I want it to dry out because it's more consistent. More people are going to have a fair race. I want to beat everyone under good conditions. I honestly, I wish we could, you know, cut out a route or two for safety as well as consistency because uh-huh, there's, yeah. a few, there's a few bits that if you just maintained it a little bit and some of the track workers, geez, they were putting a lot of effort clearing some of the mud. They yeah. fixed some of the corners that... We, you don't want to come into a section fully committed and it's just luck of the draw if you get through or not. There's one thing having skill or riding too fast, you know, and, and having a crash. But I think if you just trimmed a few routes here or there, the track would flow better, look better on TV, and you'd have a fairer race. You know, it's one thing that, okay, Greg was pushing hard, forced himself into a crash, technically. But what about someone else? It's just, yeah. you know, there's there's two lines and they're all roll of the dice. You know, I, I don't really like that part of it. You know, it did dry out, so it was more consistent. But if it stayed wet, we would have seen double the amount of crashes in the men's field in the woods. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And the only thing that makes me a little hesitant in completely going, yeah, that let's cut some of these things out. It actually takes me back to 2014 in Hafiel, the world champs in Hafiel. And it's really, it shows how some of their mindsets of these riders are so different. And I, I haven't told this story. There's not many people who know this because I was so stressed about the whole thing. Basically, in Hafia, there's a very, very steep, uh, rocky section, rooty section quite near the top. You've got those big jumps. You'll know the track. There's some, some big jumps near the top. And then you, you cut across camber and then you go through this sort of steep, rocky, rooty chute. And there was a very extreme line where you could start riders left and you could jump the whole thing and land riders right. And what they'd done is they put a pad on the tree to the right. And that pad had protruded wide of the tree. And what they'd done is behind that, they put a big pallet. And what was happening was if you caught the pad with your handlebar, you'd the pad wouldn't bend out of the way. It would hit the pallet. So you would just get flicked off the bike. And there were some horrible crashes there. And it wasn't like a, a 
specifically dangerous thing. It was just causing people not to ride that line because if you did catch that pad, there was big, big problems. And I spoke to Vasquez, David Vasquez, about this and said, why don't you just trim? Why don't, you know, you modify this, trim the, the pallet off the back so that the pad flaps. It's a bit safer for the riders. It's a bit more consistent. And he agreed with that opinion. And he thought, yeah, it's a bit safer. Maybe we should do that for the riders. Now, word got back to G that this was happening. And G was apoplectic with rage. He was furious. And I thought, I'm going to get bollocked here because I'm, you know, coaching G. I'd suggested it. Vasquez is going to say, well, Milway suggested that we cut this for safety. Speak to him. And bless him. He didn't throw me under the bus. He, he felt it was his choice. He was going to do it. But I couldn't understand why would you not want to make it a bit more consistent, a bit safer? And I said this to G and he said, look, I need it to be an absolute risk to the death because I am willing to take that risk. I am willing to risk a massive injury to take that line because it will give me an advantage. And I couldn't get my head around this opinion because obviously I'm not an elite athlete at all. And I was talking to the guy who two days later was to win that race and become world champion. And it gave me this little insight into the mentality of these people that I actually think that where we might look at something from a consistency and a safety point of view, and the majority of people on that track might do, there is this, the elite, elite, elite who might say, hey, let's make it as difficult as possible. Let's risk our necks for this because I'm the one who's going to do it and I'm going to beat you down there. So it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Where we want to make the track safer, more consistent. The girls racing, they had a lot of crashes and we don't want to make it dangerous. But I, I do think that there will be this element where the very top guys are going to be like, no way, I want this to be a roll of the dice, you know? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, like Reese wouldn't approve of stuff like that. I wouldn't say make it easy. I guess maybe more on the safety side or... Let's be honest, it's not built well enough for for a wet race. I mean, we were there in practice. I, yeah. I'm just saying, like, it's not built well enough. A, the, yeah. the gap coming out of the woods, it's fine in the dry. Perfect. Yeah. But in the wet, it's so inconsistent. You're just, like, unnecessarily pulling life and, you know, rider and bike in harm's way. So, yeah, it's a, it's a catch-22. I don't have the answers. I don't judge any of the officials or whoever's making the call because, like you say, you're not going to please everyone. That's for damn sure. Um, so your yeah, safety is, aside, uh, yeah, like track prep, track prep is, prep is a challenge. You know, they do fix some berms. So you could say, no, I, I want a hole in that berm because I get through it. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a real gray area and, and no real like right answer for all situations, I guess. No, but I think the point you were making about TV and um, making it safe is important. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying not to be blasé about this because there was a section in the stumps where because of the wet, you were coming in much slower. So in the second stump garden, there was, uh, and again, the camera flattened it out so much. There was, you had to roll over one cut down tree stump and then you rolled down another one. And because everyone was riding it so slowly, it was getting undercut. So it was becoming like a uh, undercut, you know, under that route. And the problem was that when a lot of the girls were coming down at the end of their practice before qualifying, you couldn't roll that. You physically couldn't roll through that because your wheel was getting caught in this like cupped out section and they were just getting ejected over the bars. 
And it was quite a stretch. I, I felt awful because I was standing there and the, you could see the girls like, I can't ride this. This is impossible to ride. We're not going to get through this. It's not safe. And that was a situation that on the flip side and playing devil's advocate, no one wants to see, you know, a, a majority going, well, we simply can't ride this because we're going to hurt ourselves. And interestingly, that's the section that Marine crashed and has subsequently broken her back again. Now, she didn't break her back or crash because of that. Well, I say because of that cupped out section. She jumped down there, didn't she, and then got bounced left. But it's a very, very tricky balance because if that was prepared or packed back a little bit so it could be ridden through, the top riders are going to, they were actually nose bonking a route and clearing the whole thing. So they're riding over the backside of the stump, nose bonking a route, and that was pushing them out over the hole. And it's this balance between you don't want to send people down there knowing they're going to crash, but you want that differentiation and that ability for the very best to make an advantage of the tricky conditions. And in that situation, I know for the girls in the race as well, I think for, you know, Miriam to crash, Valley had a horrendous race that obviously she'll want to forget about. And was this due to the changing conditions and the fact that it had gone from wet to sticky and they were much early, they were earlier on in the day, so it hadn't really dried out thoroughly, had it? No, I mean, uh, yeah, I think to put a bow in that one, when a course is prepped, you know, close to a World Cup and no one should ride it, which is great. I love that. I love that about Leo Gang. You know, they don't have a BDS like Fort William. You know, we some of the course markers were so tight and in odd positions that it actually minimized line choice. That's number one. And number two, if it hasn't been ridden, we don't know what it's going to do in the wet. And at some point, challenge the best riders in the world. Yes. But if there's a dangerous section, but where's the go around that's easier but slower? Hmm. That's my choice. That's a rider's I choice. Agree. That's a woman's choice. That Some of the men, I've never, yeah. I mean, I had Dakota look at me, he goes, is it bad that I'm going to go around these stumps? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, mate, you need to just get down. It's qualifying. What's the goal today? And he's like, okay, cool. Because it was so inconsistent. So, and it paid off for him. He got into the quali where he needed to be. And then he attacked in finals. So you do need some options for the riders. Slower ones, fine. And then the guys with the balls, ladies with the guts, hey, go ride that sketchy one that you might crash on, but you're going to make up a second and a half. Great. Because when you prepare yeah, a track yeah. or you cut out a route, the best rider in the world is still winning the race. Just because you cut out a route doesn't mean 50th place guy is going to win the race. Like, it's not about that. But I anyway, agree. that's each one has a view. But um, yeah, let's well, let's move on. You mentioned Valley. Oh, I mean, you must, you have to feel for it. I don't know if it's becoming a monkey that she has to get off her back. It's the it's just the inconsistent conditions going from wet to dry. She seemed committed over that stump for the first crash, um, and it's just so slippery. It's just so slippery that stump. It's almost slipperier when it dries out than in the in the rain. Yeah, it it was. I felt really bad for her, and it's. I just the final thing on that point we're talking about is I think you've hit the nail on the head. The track has to be safe to get down. There's got to be these options there. So making that and in those stump gardens when they're wet and they're slippery and I was looking at it going, I don't know how I'd get through this. I've got no idea. 
I think you probably have to have a route that juniors can get through the you know the junior females as well we want to bring more of them into the sport well no we, we can't break everyone as they come into the track because it's like oh you can't get the line it's got to be safe so i completely agree on that point um and going to the to the women's race i when i watched i didn't see valley ride that much now i don't understand why maybe that's you know sometimes we're out of sync you're out of sync with a rider you don't see a rider come through now i don't know whether there was anything going on behind the scenes or there was any issues but when i did see her she was riding really really well she had an amazing flow and i I do wonder if the pressure or an expectation that either she's putting on herself or people are putting on her because she was very angry and upset at the end and she came where i was standing to watch in the sort of manager's area she'd come around the back and she had there's a close friend of hers who comes out and I think Cecile Ravenel coaches her works with her and she was like that mix of anger and upset and I think she for me that comes across as like I could have done something different you know she wasn't leaving it to the to the gods she was just very angry that it gone that way um but to see the other girls crash there as well if I think they were riding in really tough conditions and it it made the it made it very difficult to watch really because people were crashing left, right, and centre, and it was um, Camille Ballon. She had a good run, you know, and that took the win. I didn't. I I think she probably would have run if won it if the other girls had had good good runs, but it would have been nice to see them close and fighting. But there was that many crashes that it sort of took away from that, didn't it? Well, there you go for TV and suspense, and you want a nail biter like we had in the men's. But Valley, it's it's I know myself, and I'm not comparing myself to Valley trying to win a World Cup at home. But I mean, I gave it a good go, so that's what makes what Greg does at home is incredible. But doesn't matter how much you say it's just another race. It doesn't matter how calm your team is. You're at home. You've got friends and family there. I mean, which race would you want to do well at? The the one where everyone's around, but that brings with it a monumental amount of pressure. Uh, and it just takes time. Sometimes it takes people longer to be, get comfortable. Okay, cool. I've messed it up once or twice at home. I really don't care. Let's go have fun. And she did look great in practice. Uh, Marine, I know, so yes, had the horrific crash again. Can't buy any luck. But she played a pretty smart race until then, which is a, a bummer because she decided to sit out of time training session because we you know, took the stance that it's going to mm. be a different race. So energy management is key, uh, you know, decreasing the mental stress, getting down the hill in conditions that are probably going to be way worse than the race. So I think maybe Valley played a similar game plan. She knows the track well enough. Um, but they rode in very tough conditions. You know, we all knew it was slick in the morning still, and then we knew, okay, they're going to race at one thirty ish So you could take the gamble that it's going to be dry. But clearly in spots, it didn't dry fully in that open stump area. And then the second crashes, I mean, that's definitely going to happen. You're pushing, you're over it, the body's, you know, tight yeah. after the crash. Yeah, it's funny, pressure. I, I clearly remember qualifying fourth there maybe one year at Leo Gang, like the track as well. And, uh, I mean, I crashed twice before the first split. My body was not the same as practice. I mean, I physically just it's, like high-sided yeah. in a berm. That was easy. I just was tight. I just didn't, didn't I guess, didn't manage it at the top. But my body just sometimes 
is different come race day. It's a fascinating phenomenon. You know, you just feel like you're in, you, it just feels like a nightmare and you just want it to end. You, you can barely control the bike how you were two days prior. It's that link, isn't it, between the mind and the body and having an underdog approach. Um, I think going from Valley, I, I'll just hop around a bit because I think this, this links well, but with Andy Kolb, another Austrian at home, but he had broken his elbow uh, in his upper, um, the top of his lower arm at Dovey at the Red Bull camp. And he had to miss Fort William and he'd come back. He had no expectations. He'd had to have it strapped up. He was feeling really sore. And I think because of that, he he was in that underdog position. I've got nothing to lose. You'll hear him talk in the interviews about, you know, I just wanted to qualify and see how I'd get on. And then he qualified in 13th and thought, hey, you know what? Let's just see what happens. I've got no stress. And he, I think he used the energy of the crowd to lift him up. As opposed, you know, if you've got the crowd underneath you lifting you up, then you're like, hey, I feel taller, I feel better. If you have the energy of the crowd from above you pushing you down, you feel the pressure, you feel tense, you feel tight. And I think those two examples of Valley and Andy were how the, the home environment affected them in completely different ways. Um, and I saw it again with another rider I worked with, who's she's a Crank Brothers rider, Michaela Parton. She's from Fort William. She rides in muddy, boggy, horrific conditions all the time. And I think she was quite excited about the challenge. But in the sort of last run before qualifying, another section of the track at the bottom had cupped out really hard and dangerous to get through. And it was just before the big uh, Red Bull gap jump out the woods. And she stalled in that corner but she hadn't cleared that jump yet that day because there were people in her way she's done it loads of times but she wanted to tick it off before qualifying and as you might see from if you go onto red bull social uh, if crank brothers social media you'll see what happens she tries to come and jump that jump with not enough speed had a huge case and she overlizes the head tube on her bike so that afternoon what do we do how do we get into qualification they borrowed one of reese wilson's frames uh, Trek gave him one of Reese's frames, but Michaela's like five foot tall, so she could barely ride that down. She really struggled and was quite upset because all her confidence had just gone. And she was she actually rented a different bike because she was like, what am I going to do? Um, Trek Germany, some amazing support from Trek, fair play. They brought, got someone to bring her a frame out to fit her that arrived at one o'clock in the morning of race day. So her mechanic built it up. But you can understand that all of a sudden, when you're riding loose and fresh and in practice, she was looking great and she was riding tall on the bike. I was like, hey, here we go. All of a sudden, come race day, she was tight, you know, head down, bum back, elbows down, just trying to survive. And you can see when you're riding like that, you just want to get it done. You know, it's a very, very hard day in the office for those people when you, your head is... Um, it's a f surviving the fear. Yeah, and building on that that point, uh, you could I I've uh, got some cool interviews with uh, Kolb, and exactly just no expectations. Uh, wicked. But but yeah. also Cami, and uh, so I did a bit of double duty. I had to do a bit of mechanicking and take the trainer bike to the top, which was uh, I messaged my brother because uh, he he, mecha <laughs> he mechanic the last. So I sent him a photo of the rider on the warm-up bike, me, you know, with the spare wheels. 
And uh, we all know I'm not the guru of mechanicking. So just hopefully nothing went wrong just before the race. But I sent him a picture and I said, now what? Do I just shit myself? Because I was nervous, <laughs> right, for this yeah. rider, but a different emotion. He goes, yeah, pretty much, but just don't let the rider see. But yeah. building on that point, um, it's all it's all a head game. But I could sort of feel and notice Cammy at the top. I saw it just before her final run. She seemed calm, not really fidgety, not in a rush. It just seemed that she was calm. And I asked her afterwards, you you just seemed pretty damn calm. She said, I actually was. My warm-up went well. I did, I did the game with my physio and, and I nailed that. But her quality day, she said she was like a wreck. So um, yeah. I, I just feel like she's still just kind of, everyone's like, wow, you're doing very well. You're new at the sport. Like, I don't know if she's got expectations on her shoulder really from the industry even yet. And she's on the other common cell. Pri let's call it the private team and not the factory yeah, team. Yeah. And the same as Benoit. You know, it was an unlucky crash. Yeah. We're jumping around in the mail. But he hasn't had it win yet, so he's still like wanting to prove himself, you know. So are they riding on a little bit less expectation with a bit of a I got something to prove attitude, which is a nicer one to do than I'm at the top level. The only way is down off this team, you know. Well, this is it, and this is where um the psychology is is a is such a fascinating aspect of this. Um Charlie Hatton and his teammate. So Charlie looked He's this year, he just has looked great. He's got up to speed very quickly. He looks confident, carries momentum. And when you're in practice, he's, you know, one of the fastest guys on the hill, visibly. So that's really exciting for him. And before qualifying, he turns up to the pits and his eyes are bloodshot. He looks awful. And he'd been up all night with diarrhea. And trying to get him through qualifying was, was a you know, you can do this. And he goes and puts in something incredible. And he goes back for, ready for race day, comes back. And I'm thinking, oh, let's hope Charlie's feeling a bit better. Not at all. He could barely get on the bike. He was so weak. He really, really struggled. And it was a situation where, no, it doesn't help him at all. However, from a mental point of view, we were just trying to reassure him that, look, Charlie Hatton can ride a bike so well you ride like Charlie Hutton, you'll be absolutely fine. You don't need to push it over that edge. And you're going to have to dig really deep. You're going to have to find something for five minutes, you know, of getting ready, getting into the gate and just going full gas and see what happens. And his first split, he was over five seconds back. He was in 31st position. And that really is understandable you know we weren't able to do a normal warm-up we had to really conserve energy he was probably thinking this is the last place i want to be but as he got into the track he just got better and to ride like on those natural instincts and to come down in eighth in the end his best ever world cup result i think is incredible and it will build that confidence and it will help him realize that you do what you you know you can do and that's good enough yeah, how incredible is that, that beware the injured rider kind of thing, you know, because you lose all expectations. You're just like, well, my goal is Alan's going to help me get to the start line without vomiting. And then the next goal is get this yeah. bike down <laughs> the hill. It's not like, okay, if I do that corner well, I can get in the top 10 or I'm feeling good, you know. Exactly. It's just simple, simple process to get down. Yeah, I, lo I love it. 
And and speaking of psychology or prep, uh, Jackson Goldstone got second, and uh, him yes. and Jordan are, Jordan are having a great battle. And all credit to Jordan. Don't get me wrong, but Jackson was one of the most confident riders in practice. I think you would agree. Um, out on that track, yeah. doing the stump gaps early. But one thing I noticed, and I think I've got the timeline correct, is so you know the one of the places we knew would dry in the race and we'd maybe go back to dry lines was the open stump section um, that you do see on the Red Bull Live before the motorway. And, and Jackson came in there so hot, confident, and actually boosted that first stump, crashed. And then I kind of, I was, I just, we, I just, he just looked and I kind of joked. I said, well, maybe just bring it back from mild panic just to one notch lower. You know, that's basically why you crashed. <laughs> you just go in too fast for what the, the course will allow. He kind of looked and he just plonked off and, and, and went on. But I think that was his last run. And I'm kind of the rider mm. and Craig would probably be the same is I, I would have wanted him to push up and do it clean. So your last memory not that he yeah. works like that but i'm just thinking you know wouldn't you want your last feeling on course is like a clean section or like clean to the stump but he's clearly just confident like oh well i've been doing the stump gap all week it's just uh unlucky that i crashed there so that was one interesting thing because then he crashed on the stump in his race in his so, race I, I, have you seen john lawless footage of it because lawless yeah. right there yeah and it's yeah. a coincidence or it's Kind of, you know, maybe next time push up and get it clean, just so you have give your brain and your body the last good feeling, you know. I do think this, um, and I think we touched on this at, at Fort William, the approach that we had at Fort William because there were key sections and we were going to try and push back up sections. Sometimes, I think the riders were way more blasé about it this race because the uplift was so fast. You got to the bottom, and the, I think the gondola was just five minutes. You know, you jumped on the gondola, you're straight back up. And because the track was almost in two halves, you had the bike park section at the top, and then you dropped into the woods for the bottom half. If people wanted to focus on the bottom half, I almost think some riders may have just gone, you know what, I'll just cruise down the top. But sometimes that, I'm, and I'm not saying, I have no idea what was going through George, um, Jackson's head in that in that last practice run. But it could have been he was thinking about what was going to happen in the bottom woods or I'm going to try this other line in the bottom woods. And all of a sudden, you're not in the present. You're not thinking about what you're actually doing right now. You're thinking about something that might be a bit more difficult because that wasn't a particularly difficult line that where he came off. He just would have boosted too far. You could get over that without full send. And it was actually coming out of there that you mentioned earlier about the way that the track had been taped and where the poles had been positioned. And I thought it was very thoughtless. I thought there was two or three sections on that track where if you'd opened the poles up and given the riders more opportunity, more choices, we'd have seen an inside line, an outside line, loads of opportunities. But on, on that section, as you came out of that stump gap, there was a very, very tight, narrow little bench that you could ride across. And the, the pole had been bent down to allow you to do this. Now, from my position, and I'd love to know the outcome on this, what the commissaires say to this, but I thought if you'd ridden the dry line, you come in a little bit lower, you could jump the whole lot. I think you could jump over the tapes, over the other side of the tapes and the pole in one go. 
Are you able to do that? Are you not allowed to do that? What's the situation? Yeah, well, that was, I think Benoit Coulange opened that line. Um, first practice run on race day. So he'd spotted in track walk. So we'll pause him and come back to him after this. So yeah. my understanding is where the, you would think, you know, where the pole goes into the ground is like the racing line or the, the outside of the track. But when the pole's bent like that, but legally bent, but now when they first put it in, what was the angle, you know? Was it at ninety yeah, degrees? It was a much was shorter it down pole. at down yeah, at seventy much, seventy degrees, yeah, exactly. you know, seventy degrees or whatever. Yeah. And then by everyone hitting it and pulling it out, and then the marshal on one day might be different to the next marshal, and he puts it in at forty five degrees angle, pointing away from the track for safety. Then if you cross over the pole, but you're on the left of the top of the pole, so a rider's track yeah. side inside, then it's legal. But if you jump so high, who's to say that you didn't cross on outside the top of the pole if the pole's short? So that should be a a longer pole in theory and is a bit of a gray area. But it made for a good line in the dry, and I was impressed. And, and that's why I thought, for me, he was the rider of the week, Benoit. I, I really stand by that. I know he didn't win. I know other guys rode incredibly fast. Um, but... To see him qualify fastest, morning of the race opens up this gap that, you know, half of us coaches on the side had the video and it was sent down and a few other people did it. So it's very tough to hide yeah. lines these days at a World Cup. But I was very impressed with the Benoit and uh, got a cool interview there with him. Dropped, just had a quick chat to him. He was re took it really well. Um, he said he's, you know, he still had two podiums this year already. So it's it's kind of racing. So that was cool to see. Yeah, he's he's definitely. Um, I think that team's really exciting team, and must be causing Max Commensals a few headaches because I can imagine Dorval going back to Max and saying, "Hey, twenty twenty three, we're going to add another half a million quid to the budget." What's, what's yeah, another, happening? Another zero to the budget here. Well, I think Ma <laughs> yeah. I think Max was taking it. Yeah, I think he was distracting himself from those first world problems because he was uh, he was sending it at the party. Uh, in the common soul pit, I won't lie. Oh, was he? Definitely, what, yeah. he was definitely in the yeah. mosh pit. So, I, how cool is that? The passion he has for the sport <laughs> is pretty incredible. But yeah, um, yeah. When when do they start putting bigger expectations on themselves and asking for a bigger paycheck, which then brings the pressure? <laughs> well, this is it, and I don't. Um, I may be wrong, but I think their their headline sponsor is actually an investment bank or a hedge fund bank. So if they can leverage them, I'm sure they won't be short of budget. But it's uh, it's something that for Max, he's got these two teams and he's got his flagship factory team and then a satellite team, as you maybe call, you know, motocross terms. But um, I find it a very interesting thing. And, and they're swamping the the race with bikes there's angel suarez he was, was, was going to say as well wasn't he so i was going to yeah. say you wait hang on we've got we have to mention angle because of an incredible result but if you're on this topic yeah. uh yeah i yeah. might be sponsored by another brand but i can't hide from the fact that he was the top common soul rider <laughs> he was ahead of amory well this Exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> it is incredible. Uh, and the, the strength in depth, you know, they've got two bikes on the podium, two common sales from different teams. Wow. He's, he's doing something right. And, and my understanding is that uh, he doesn't, he doesn't put money into 
going to trade shows. He doesn't put money into advertising. He just racing. And that's he just where floods, the coverage floods is. He just floods the downhill him. market and just yeah. buys every rider he can afford. Yeah. yeah, well, then, no wonder. It's just clear. <laughs> exactly. It's just simple mass and statistics here. It's not the bike. Can't be. It's impossible. Yeah. No, no, no. He, said he, must, he must have been and had a meeting at KTM. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good point in Moto. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Now, yeah, on, exactly. on, to your, on to your country folk, so, uh, country folk, spoiling the party for the French, spoiling Amory's. Uh, trying to make history and go three for three to open up a World Cup season. We've got Danny Hart. You've Amazing. worked with him bef- before. I think that's incredible. You'll hear from him in a post-race interview. I chatted to him. Yeah, I think that's a big relief for him. Joined a big team. They're investing a lot. He puts. We know he puts 100%, 110% into his racing. Um, yeah. and, and Matt Walker. Both of those guys. So a relief for Danny coming back, hasn't had a podium since the win in 2019. And then Matt Walker, who would have been struggling with those sort of internal expectations and winning the title without winning a race last year, you know, you know, post the season he won. And now he can tick, he's got the monkey of his back. And he almost didn't expect it on this track. Well, this is it. I think he's going to be, Matt's going to be really dangerous or even more dangerous now. I think he was dangerous to, to start with. And those two have obviously got history from being teammates. And Matt was the up-and-coming rider to Danny. Danny was the number one guy on Madison Saracen. Matt was the junior. Matt came through. I think the vibes might not have worked out so well, and they had to make a decision which way we're going to lean. And it's been really interesting to see that, you know, they Danny moved on to Cube. Matt was the number one guy at Saracen. And to, I thought it'd be very interesting, you know, Matt pushing Danny and has always pushed him on. And to see him come through now, I th- he admitted, I, I was watching the Red Bull feed earlier and in the, the, the post-race interview, they sort of mentioned that, you know, winning an overall without winning the race. How, you know, how was that? And I think he alluded to feeling quite a lot of pressure and expectation. Maybe a bit of imposter syndrome in there, you know, he'd come in and yes, he's like, maybe I yeah. need to have won one of these things. Um, but now he's got that that validation for himself. Like we all know how good Matt is, and no one else would ever have that thought about him. Um, and he's he's such a nice guy. It's, what's really cool is um, he's from sort of Oswestry, Shrewsbury area. Charlie's from that area as well. They hang out and ride a lot together. We we often when I'm training with Charlie, we'll go and eat lunch in the same. Like there's this nice cafe we go, and Matt will come down sometimes, and we'll all catch up. He's a lovely, chill guy. He loves his track cars and his motorbikes away from it. But when he's there to commit and he's got a good support crew around him from what I understand, he's fully focused. He takes his job seriously. And I have to say those conditions in the woods, we see that in the UK quite a lot. You know, you go and ride in Mid Wales in the winter. You go and ride in Bringewood in Hopton. There's a lot of local tracks and trails that are rooty, muddy, claggy. And having an attitude that, I'm just going to keep pushing. It is quite hard when you're not used to riding in those conditions because if your front wheel starts clogging up with mud, you might just be thinking, well, what's the point? You know, and, and that split second of an attitude like that is going to affect your results. But when you're, I think Charlie was saying there was a race, a national he did at Bringewood that was very, very similar to that. And he was almost reflecting on that attitude he'd need to have for those conditions. And 
Matt put down an incredible run. His position on the bike is so strong, isn't it? It's it's not uh, it's leaning towards the Bruni position, in my opinion. He's got a, a position that holds quite strong. And although he moves around, when you look, the bike is moving with him. He's not squatting and bouncing away from the bike a lot. And I, I was really interested to watch that position he holds on the bike because it's uh, it's it's gives him momentum all the time. Yeah, it makes sense that he could do well here because we know how hard he works and how fit he is. And you can see he carries speed. Um, and then now with the bottom half of the track, when it's muddy, it, it suits um, someone that is used to those conditions. And what, what I think about as well is the how draining the practice days are in the whole week. And and I thought about that when Reese won. For him, it's just another day on the hill on a bike. For a For a South African or an Aussie, it's bloody well torture and you've got to have a really positive mindset and sort of subconsciously not let it weigh you down because I, I mean, I know from past experience, I just want to get the hell out of there. Um, it's draining. Yes. We want to race. We want to go fast, but I also don't want to spend two hours after day cleaning my muddy kit um, and doing it over and over. So I think someone like Danny, someone like Matt, these guys just subconsciously are so used to the conditions. And then, how can you not be confident when you know you're quite tired at the end of the run and you got to get down a section that looks like your local wood? Yeah, yeah. This this is it, and yeah, I'm really really excited for Matt. I think it's fantastic. Same with Danny. I think he would have. You saw what it meant to him when he crossed the line. There was there was a yeah huge, the emotion. Um, you know, the emotion came out, and Danny's he's aggressive in the way he like lets his emotion go. And he was like pumped up for that. And that was really cool to see that sort of, you, it was almost like a pressure relief valve going off. And you're like, oh, there, we, you know, I can do this. I've proved my worth here. I'm, I'm still at the top, you know, don't think anything different of me. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning the intense guys because that was uh, for Dakota. Dakota's been riding really, really well this year, but Aaron Gwynn hasn't really shown what he can do. And they're on this new bike that there's been a few, you know, conversations about with so many things on it changing. But for them to come in, I think, uh, 9th and 11th, you know, really, really good and, and shows a lot of promise for the for the coming races. Yeah, I mean, that's good for momentum, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, you've got to crawl before you walk, walk before you run. And when you haven't had results for now a while, maybe that's what you need. You've got to aim for an 11th. And then you might aim for a seventh and then it might be a podium. And unfortunately, that might be the steps that need to go. But also the track doesn't, I, I wouldn't, the old Leo Gang, yes, suited Aaron. I wouldn't call this one suiting him at all. Not in those conditions. Not taking away from his um, his skill set. But I don't think his winning, big winning margins have come from that style of, of woods at the bottom, you know, in the, in the wet. And uh, yeah, Dakota to me, I mean, like I said, quite a few funny interactions with him on the side of the track. And he just went about his own business and was like, I'm going around these stumps to get through them. I don't know what he did in the dry. But uh, yeah, i got a lot of time for them as well. And, and everyone wants to see people do well. That's a great thing about the sport. The camaraderie's there. There's some battles. I feel like there's less rivalries than there was, you know, when Burrell was around. And, you know, Greg and G had quite a rivalry. Yeah, that's true. But I'm like... It's see, I mean, they are and they aren't. It's definitely we, you know, there's some gossip that we won't throw around on here, <laughs> but I like that part of it. 
And I think um, Finals, I mean, he misses a race and comes back straight mm. to, to pace in qualifying. And then, I mean, shucks, he's only missed the podium by 0.3. So, oh, he's in six, but he's 0.3 from a podium after missing a race, coming back. And then I think Loris, you can look at the splits. Um, I He had a challenging practice, I must say. I, I don't think his practice went as smoothly as he wanted, or at least when I saw him. But um, the Woods, are, they're inconsistent. I think even if you've done your prep and you, you're mentally on top of it, I, I think there is a, an, a side of inconsistency and luck in those Woods as well, a little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, I was going to mention Finn as well to come back and be up to pace so quickly is amazing because I think we all know if you've had an injury and obviously his was a head injury, it's taken him quite a long time to come back. I know that um, I saw Amy, the Red Bull physio. Red Bull have now brought, um, they have a, an athlete performance center in Austria and they've brought a pit with them and the pit's going to be coming to the races now. And it's a very similar pit set up to Mondraker. Um, it's almost like a concertina. It's like a tent that folds into itself. So it's got sort of metal external walls and in the middle is like a, an awning, a canvas awning. So it opens up. And they've divided that into two portions. And Amy's able to treat rebel athletes in there. She's able to have a private sort of consultation room in there. And I was chatting to her and she said that Finn was still just, you know, he just had to go through a couple of rides earlier in the week to see how he was. And I was on um, a bit of a recovery spin after track walk with Frida Running, who's Dakota's girlfriend and he races in the, the women's class. And me and Frida were riding and Finn sort of came, you know, was on the same ride as it was just cruised past and he was saying yeah i'm feeling pretty good you know it's all coming in the right direction and it was great that he's able to um not have any doubt self-doubt in his ability or worried that what happens if i crash again i'm gonna bang my head he seemed to be able to put that out of his put it out of his head and his riding was fantastic again all week he's a very strong guy on a bike he's really you know, the Finars from being a young junior who was very small, wasn't he? And now he's just filled out and a big, strong guy. And it's cool to see that. And Troy as well. I think it's worth mentioning Troy in this because I almost didn't wreck it. You know, when the new kits and the new bikes and I was like, who's this guy on the canyon? He's going good. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Troy's back. And he, again, I don't think it was maybe the result he wanted in the grand scheme of things, but I think that's a really good, after a big injury to come back and uh, do what he did. Where was he, 16th? You know. Yeah, and he, and he qualified six as far as I remember. And, I mean, missing two races, coming back to the third one, and you missed the first and the second. I mean, how do you even know what race pace looks like? So it was impressive to see him, you know, in the wet. I think when it dries up, I, you know, I said to Brendan, you know, I think when it dries up, it's going to bring more guys, you know, into the into the mix and Brendan's not fit enough and maybe Troy is not race fit enough, you know, come the come the end of the week. So yeah, it's a it's a great starting point, especially missing two for sure. Yeah, exactly. And what did you did you hear the story about um the young Louise Ferguson, the British girl who got on the podium in her first ever World Cup. She's got a GB jersey. Is it the is it her first World Cup? Walk. Yeah, so she missed. Yeah, I believe it's her oh, first She missed World first Cup. day of practice as well. 
unbelievable isn't it she's I, I i'm really excited for her and i do hope that they can bring some more support to to this girl from what i understand i went to follow her on instagram i i was like oh, i need to follow this girl she follows me i was like oh cool i followed her back and watching some of her riding i was like this girl can ride a bike and in those you know as a starting point that is so exciting when they you know when you see a girl with that style and control and position on the bike and she sends these huge jumps. I think she's going to be a dangerous proposition for those girls now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. And for anyone that doesn't understand, you need points to race a World Cup and they're sort of getting stricter and stricter. And if you don't have, there's certain number of slots that a country federation can help you enter the, the race and then you wear that country jersey, which we saw. She had a Great Britain jersey. So that's a pretty cool story for her. Yes, we can talk about all the crashes and stuff. But, I mean, she didn't even have first day practice either. It's not like she had perfect preparation. So uh, that'll be that'll be cool for her. And it's nice to see uh, new names in the mix there. Definitely. And the privateer, I dread to think we were talking about being wet and muddy on the hill and having all your wet kit on. I know the Atherton truck is where I spend a lot of my time and I'm based out of there. You know, you can undress in the corner, leave a pile of your wet muddy gear and go and get some fresh stuff on. I don't think, you know, this girl had that opportunity. I bet you she was running the same kit, you know, for a good, good long while and probably having a long cleanup operation in the evening. No, let's let's pick that apart. I mean, a mud race, oh, it's like 10 to 20 times the work for the riders, the mechanics, the staff. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I got my hands dirty. I was bloody cleaning helmets, cleaning shoes. Like, because yeah. I know, and, and they, they're so polite. No, no, I'm fine. I said, just go get warm, go to the hotel. I'm here anyway. And there's no point you standing in the cold, pressure washing your muddy kit and hanging it up. I'll do it for you. And, and a privateer doesn't have that luxury. A privateer's probably got to go stand uh, in the line to wash its bike in the, in the, in the rain. Um, I mean, it's it's incredible for a privateer to do well in the at a mud race, definitely. It really is, and what you mention is is really the true essence, I think, of what we're trying to do as support staff. Is that is that word support? You know, what can we do to help the rider to take away a bit of stress, a bit of hassle, a bit of time? Let them get back earlier to get warm, and. You, you still want the rider to say please and thank you. Don't get me wrong. The last thing you want is someone to ghost your muddy bike towards you and go clean that because no one's going to want to do that. But at the same time, you want to be able to try and help the riders. And, and, and they need to learn, I think, sometimes, I don't need to control this. I don't need to be the one cleaning my helmet and cleaning my goggles. I can trust that someone else can do that job for me. Um, a long time ago, what was quite funny was – I used to go up to the top of the hill with Danny when he was a junior and I used to fold his goggle strap up into his goggle bag. Mm, no, big like, no, Alan, no, there, not, Alan. no, exactly. Exactly. So this was, Hey, give me a chance. This was 15 years ago. So the first time he saw me do that, he was like, Alan, we do not do that. So I didn't, I unpicked him and let them hang out and close the bag up. He was like, that's the right way to do it. And then we didn't have another word and he could trust Alan, are the goggles sorted? And the goggles were sorted. So the riders and staff, we all have to learn. And if someone hasn't got experience and you ask them, 
can you sort my goggles out? And the goggles come up with thumbprints on the inside or there's a problem with the tear-offs. It's going to add more pressure. But if you can support them in a way that you can clean the kit. I cleaned Charlie's helmet because it was the last thing he wanted to do. He's feeling really ill. I think there was still some sick in it from qualifying. And I was like, you know what? We need to, yeah. Did you give his helmet a good polish, Alan? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, the things we do, Andrew, just to make the rider feel better. Yeah, exactly that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. No, no, I, know. I mean, I literally, so, I've, I've come a long way. I, I ended up cleaning shoes for riders and polishing helmets for the week. So uh, <laughs> no no job too small. No, but you're right. I, I um, It's fascinating. It's very finicky being, you've ridden a lot of bikes. And like you say, you've faffed with goggles and it's such a small thing. But a goggle strap, if you stuff it in the goggle bag, the rubber from the strap can touch the inside of the lens and the inside of the lens doesn't have the same coating as outside and leaves a mark and you can't rub it off. Um, and a lot of riders are, I mean, especially goggles, super finicky. So, um, yeah, it, you literally are there as a support, especially in a mud race. There were less lines, let's be honest. I mean, you just show them a video and say, everyone's going down there and you should just survive. But it's that positive affirmation. Everyone is feeling crap. Everyone is struggling. So just because you've had two crashes doesn't mean you're the only one struggling out there. But as a rider, you internalize that. So I'm not feeling good on the bike. I feel bad in the woods. Literally, it's not the most flowy woods that's ever been created. So it's almost about saying the right thing at the right time or taking the pressure off them, taking the stress of cleaning goods. Yeah, I mean, a really good support network at a mud race, I think, adds quite a lot of, well, a lot more percentage chance to do well than not. I agree. And that's all you're trying to do, isn't it? You're trying to tip the odds in your favor. You're trying to put someone in a position and the rider, if they're investing in this help and where am I going to put my time, my energy, they need to, for me, it's what you can control and what you can't control. And if there's certain things that they need to focus on and put all their energy in, and there's other things they have to trust that someone else can do that for them. If you become this control freak where you're trying to control everything, your energy is going to be in loads of different places and it's wasted. It's simply wasted. And if you can trust someone and also have those conversations, like we joke about me with the goggles, but you need that good communication because if there's a certain way something needs to be done, show the person, this is how I want it done. I'll show you once, please do it. And if you can't do it, then maybe don't come and support me at the next race. But if you can get uh, the right people, and this is where the the, uh, mechanics are so good, um, Andy Kolb, for whatever reason, one of these freak things, as he was rolling to the gate for his race run, somehow there was some contaminant on his front brake pads and the brake was just squealing and it wasn't locking up. This was as he pulled into the gate. So with less than 30 seconds to go before he dropped in for his race run, his mechanic was able to whip out the brake pads, fresh set of brake pads in. We're all good, Andy. Pat him on the back. You'll be fine. And that takes that's teamwork, isn't it? The the rider's got to trust in his mechanic that he's done the right job. Everything's in there. The front pads are going to stay in, and the mechanic's got to go. Bloody hell! There, there would have been a high heart rate there, wouldn't there? Yeah, I mean that's literally the last thing you want. I'm sub- and they got them. They got them burnt in and biting enough before the start, or was it kind of uh, like they were pre? They should work by the no, third turn. Have- 
<laughs> uh, they pre-bedded. We're I, we're working with professionals yeah. here. Let's not let's exactly. not uh, insult exactly. them like that. <laughs> I would I would have them pre-burnt in, of course, because I'm such a good mechanic. Of course you would. Of course you would. No, yeah, no, I it. think that's no. It's critical. It's it's fascinating. The top. I loved it. Uh, it's nerve-wracking for these mechanics. I now got to feel the feeling, and it's it's riveting. It's it's. Almost as nerve-wracking, but then you sit back and go, thank goodness I don't have to drop in and do the actual run. But uh, for a mechanic, I mean, you're just praying. You've They're all professional. They've all put so much work. But things can go wrong out of your control. A chain can snap. Even a brand-new chain with a brand-new link, they it can snap under load. Small things like that, um, yeah, it's fascinating. And like Jaunty said, just make sure the rider doesn't see. So I was up there. Um, my job is to check the tire pressures, but I don't want to do that in front of Flo because I'm not, I'm there as support. We have a relationship on the lines and stuff, but I'm not his mechanic. And with the way the timing works out and we all got to support, especially a mud race, I said, I'll do it. Flo, you comfortable with me coming up? He's like, hell yeah. But I'm not going to show in front of him I'm checking his tire pressures because you don't want him being distracted from what his goal is, you know, and that's maybe focus on his lines or his or his warm-up. i got a question for you. Now that I've, um, I'm away from the sport, and I'm, what's, I mean, I know your view is, I'm, let me try, phrase this question right. Do you think a warm-up works as well for certain riders versus others? I.e. a Brendan versus a Greg, because Brendan's quite relaxed, and he probably doesn't warm up before practice as much. You know, like how much, could you maybe could you not warm up and then stay in a different mindset versus warm up and then the pressure builds and you get nervous? That's a really good question. the The way I think you're looking at a warm up is you're looking at it as a physical thing, and you're just looking at the physiology behind raising your heart rate up, doing certain exercises, as opposed and the way I try and look at a warm up is it's the all-encompassing way to get you to perform to your best when you start. Mm, so like a process, that include, like a consistent process. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I understand that part exactly. of it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah I no, 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 that, I, I, like, process, I, like, I like that part. And I, I think with someone like – so Brendan is someone who will chill. The more chilled he is, the better he will do. The more he's like maybe agitated, it will push him over the edge maybe a bit more quickly. And for that rider, you you have to adapt. For that rider, excuse me, you have to adapt your warm-up to cater for that personality type. I definitely yes. think that's important. And yeah. that I had a I had a my perfect warm-up in inverted commas. I wanted, I used again, I learned this. And I've been through this, so it's quite cool to be able to talk about this. With G, I had I felt as though he needed to do some activation work prior to his race run. His warm-up was very low-level cardio, shall we say, getting his legs spinning, raising his heart rate up. It was pretty steady on the turbo. And I, I spent a good first little while when I started to work with him just observing it. I wasn't going to throw anything at this guy. He was at a very high level anyway. I just wanted to see what he was doing. Then we had a discussion about it. I felt he could improve it in certain areas and we discussed that and he tried it. And he said, no, Alan, I don't like this certain aspect of the warm-up because 
my heart rate's too fast when I get to the gate. I need to be a bit calmer because for me, being that bit calmer is better. And you'll see with the with the Troys and with the Gwyns and with the Sam Hills when they're at their very very peak peak you know domination level riding, that calmness is the most important thing. So you don't want to go beyond that. But at the same time, if from a physical standpoint, you're, you haven't told your body what's about to, it's got to deal with, it's really, really easy to all of a sudden go into the red. Your body's not prepared to deal with this lactate increase, this heart rate suddenly going through the roof. If it's had no preparation for that, you will punish yourself. And it could be the second half of the track where you notice the problem. So you might feel incredible for the first split. Yeah, physically. So this is what you want to educate the rider with and say, hey, look, if you sit there at the top and you go into like your Zen Buddhist thing or you're joking with your mechanic and you're having a great time, you might feel amazing for the first split. But then when it gets to the lower section of the track and you're like being bounced around and you're, you're tasting that metal taste and your legs are burning that's when you're going to be punished and we have to look at the whole thing together and say for you as an individual how do we maximize your performance from the very top of the track to the very bottom of the track yeah no i appreciate you you um go into those details because i guess i was looking at basically from i've been researching a bit on personality types um Hmm. and and if you think about an extrovert versus introvert and and what state you need to be in to perform your best. So the warm-up helps you also get into the state and have a process. So someone like me, I mean, it was pretty easy to see I'm extroverted like a you know, bunch of banter. So why would I not keep fun in my warm-up? Or, and, and Oscar um, Size, who when we worked on Giant, I think he spotted it, that if I get too in my yeah. own head on my own, then I'm gone internal and I'm not an internal person. Then I'm too much pressure too tense so he once told me a joke but he was trying to get it uh, from spanish to english it was taking so long eventually i had to tell him can you i I know what you're trying to do here i'm sure it'll be funny but i gotta get to the start line here um but i I got down good it was a good race i was in a relaxed mindset but everyone's different sam hill might he's probably i would guess tess more as an introvert maybe goes a little bit more internal calmness is his state brendan probably a bit more extrovert so it's an interesting thing how different riders have to do different things oh, yeah. to get into that exactly. flow state as well as warm-up. I remember we tested more of a warm-up at the bottom, a little bit at the top. Maybe I like that because then I wasn't at the yeah. top so much thinking about yeah. the race. So there's that mental side as well as physical. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. No, I, I think the point you made to make about introverts and extroverts is a fascinating one. And it's something, the more you understand your rider and who you're working with and that team set up, you're exactly right. If you've got an extrovert and you're sat in the gondola going to the top and everyone's just quiet, then this extrovert character is going, well, what the hell's going on here? They just need that calmness around them because they generally, an extrovert recovers and relaxes in the company of others. So that's quite a nice way to sort of um, sum it up. An introvert recovers and relaxes on their own. So they've got no problem with that. I'm quite an introvert. I quite like being on my own to recover. That doesn't mean that I get nervous in front of other people. I don't mind standing up and talking to groups of people. That's fine. But I would not call myself an extrovert because 
I find that I'm tired after doing that. So in my warm up for anything important to me, I'm quite happy to be on my own. I don't need to go back and forth for someone to practice something maybe. And I think that this understanding from a rider's point of view, if you've got an extrovert rider, you are, it makes good sense to send an extrovert up with him. They can have a chat and lighthearted. You know, if you've got an introverted mechanic with an extroverted rider, the introverted mechanic under that pressure is going, shit, I can't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I have no yeah. idea what to say. You know yeah, what I mean? Fair enough. I think my brother's a little bit more introverted than me. It's it's funny learning it now. I could have teased him and said, hey, you got to figure out some jokes and talk to me. Why are you shitting <laughs> yes. yourself and not talking? You're making it worse. No, that's brilliant. Uh, uh, there are many standout rides. We don't mean any disrespect if we miss them. But I do want to give a shout out um, to Dylan Levesque um, on the Scott team. I've been getting to know him yeah. better and figuring out his process. And he is so professional. And I don't know if you recognize him on track, but he looked really good. He's such a good bike handler. But um, And one of our roles is to, I think, uh, decrease the amount of decisions you make. Um, you know, if the rider wants to try lines, that's fine. But that race day in the stump section, he said, I want it. I, I said, it's going to be dry. I do think we're going back over the stump and I've got another two options for you afterwards. It's not inside anymore. He said, no, I agree, but I do want to try it. I said, I'll meet you there. Um, and we pushed up. We did mm. two runs. And uh, how are you feeling? Good. I'm going with this line. And even if it's different to what I firmly believe in, if he's confident and he wants to go that line, You've also got to step back and, and, and let them go with it, you know? Exactly that. And it's that, I think it's always this balance. There, there's a line a bit further down the track and Andy Cole wanted to try and get high for something and get off this main line. And my opinion was the main line is drying. It's becoming drier and drier and will become more and more consistent. If you get off this line, it's going to be slippery. And he came down after his first practice run on Sunday. Alan, I got the high line. It was incredible. And I was like, hey, that's cool. Brilliant. I'm really happy. Second practice run, he comes down. Huge bruise on his hip. I tried that line again. It slipped me this time. And I was like, oh, you can't say I told you so. No. You know, there's no, <laughs> no benefit to saying, you know, hey, man, we all knew that's a risk. And I'm, you're always having to... I guess I think the most important thing is to try and decide what do you say and what do you not say. You might have, you would have been the same. You'd have got loads of video footage and it's your decision to go, do I send all of this stuff to a rider or do I actually don't send any of it and go, no, you're good. That's the perfect line. Just do you because they need to trust you. They're like, well, Andrew, what have you been doing for the past 50 minutes on the track? And you're like, no, no, I haven't been checking my Instagram. I've been filming every rider, but I've had to try and filter a little bit of this information. So I'm reducing your stress, just like we were talking about earlier with getting your kit ready and everything else. You're trying to just get the guy or girl to focus on what they're doing. And I find I see differences in males and females with this and the reassurance aspect that I try that I, I think some athletes seek. You have to you know, nurture that and help reassure them. Other guys and girls don't need the reassurance. They just want raw data, raw information. Yes, no, good, bad. You know, give me a straight, very concise answer to a question. Yeah, man, that's been fascinating. I think we'll start wrapping it up. I'll tell you what, 
I would have been thankful to be in Crank Brothers' pedals in the mud. I did a photo shoot with someone yeah. else that didn't have them. I swear we were waiting like a minute top of each track, just him trying to clean his pedals out to get clipped in. I mean, there's there's no no doubting why they've won 11 world champs in a row. And now they went three for three with Cammy at Leogang. She's the undisputed queen of Leogang, taking over maybe Gwyn's uh, king of Leogang title. Incredible. Yeah, amazing. It's In those conditions, again, uh, those pedals, they, they make a big, big difference for sure. Well, ladies and gents, I'll be dropping those interviews right about now. Andreas, rank this result for you so far. Uh, I'm over the moon. I'm, I can't believe it, really. It's, that it happened at home. That's my first top 10 and straight to the podium. First Austrian elite World Cup podium too, so it's just... My family is here, all my best friends here, so, yeah. Best. Did you even think or expect it coming in? What nah, was no way, like? no way. I, I broke my elbow four weeks ago, and I thought, yeah, let's go to Leogang, enjoy it, just qualify, have a good run maybe, and then we see, but the fucking podium. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats, my man. Sometimes low expectations. Awesome. It is, yeah, it is. Cheers, buddy. And what else? Come on. You didn't think it after quali, nothing? No, nothing, nothing. I thought maybe top 20. That was my like goal from <laughs> yesterday after. But. Benoit, I think you were the rider of the week, uh, opening up some gaps this morning before anyone. Talk, talk to me. I know it's emotional. I think we were on for the win. Yeah, I was it, but I think I had the level, but not the result today. It's like this, but... I'm stoked about how I, I rode in the top, how I, I was enjoy a lot. So sometimes you crash. I did two podiums in the beginning of the year, so I'm, I'm still stoked. And I, I know I have the speed to, to do it. So I believe it's possible for, for the next few races. Cammy, apparently you've missed a train because you were listening to the podcast. So give the fans <laughs> oh, some yeah. comment. I didn't, I didn't miss the train. I, I forgot to oh, purchase my, ticket. my ticket and I got a fine of 100 francs. Okay, well, from the prize money today, you can pay for it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's Talk true. to me. That was clinical. That was super good. Like, the start was weird because I wanted to go like the high line, but then go down like I did this morning. But I forgot to go down, so I stay up. But I was like, uh, what are you doing? And then, but I mean, it was still fast. And then it was just super good. Like, I had super good uh, grip. I, I took the risk to stay in full dirty down, like totally mud tire, even though it was pretty dry. And it was just so sick to ride. And just at the stem section, I did a little mistake. I got a bit stuck and I had to pedal, but I mean, not the huge one. And then the motorway, a couple of mistakes too, like just casing jump. I was like so embarrassed. But like, like I said, nothing crazy either. And then the wood was just like super flowy. And it was weird because I, I wasn't sure which line I should take. Like there was few options like inside outside. And I knew like inside were faster, but it was super like tricky, risky. And then I was like minute making decision, like it was super funny. Like I was like, okay, what do you do? What do you, okay, outside. And then what do you do? Uh, okay, outside. Like it was, yeah, honestly, it was super fun. Like I was talking to me, to myself, and taking the last minute decision in the wood. But it was just, yeah, I didn't do. I mean, it's where you win the race in the wood, and it was. I was super strong, so I'm just super stoked.
Yeah, but I mean, I'm hearing that you've made some mistakes or you're doubting, but at the top, you looked very calm. I saw you before you run. Yeah. And I thought you looked very calm. I wasn't stressed. And I, yeah. You didn't look stressed at no, all. No, like, I was way other. more stressed in quali. I don't know why. Yeah. Even though, like, I didn't want to go for the win or whatever in quali, I was so stressed. Like, I couldn't breathe. And I was like, why? Why am I stressing? It's quali. And today, no, I felt good. Like, the woman was sick. We always do, like, game with the physio, like, reaction game with ball. And I ate all the balls, like, so good. And I was like, whoa! Like fired up, like whoa! I'm on it. My brain is working, and it was just good vibes at the top. And I was like, okay, I won here before. I don't need to prove anything. I was just relaxed, and I was just okay, enjoy it. And yeah, I was pretty relaxed. You're right. Like yeah. I was, I, I felt great at the start. And the podcast, uh, talk to the fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah can we. Yeah, exactly. We started a new podcast with Emily uh, because she's like now trackside and seeing the, the World Cup a bit different angle than I do. Um, yeah, we decided to, try to start a podcast which is in and out down in World Cup Postart. You can uh, hit the link in my bio and you can listen the first one is just about like how we got into downhill, like the bit of the history of us, like because I get so many questions, how I get into downhill, and so all those questions are answered in the first podcast, which is really just about us. Like if you don't know us, you can just listen to it. And then um, we missed the Lord one, but we started after Paul William, and basically it's, uh, we ask people on our uh, social media what they want to know, and we try to answer as many questions as possible about the race really like we don't speak a lot, a lot about training or whatever like just about the race and we're gonna do the same this weekend and this weekend we're gonna have a guest for the first time so it's a surprise you're gonna have to listen to it we're probably gonna record it like monday or tuesday and it will be online on tuesday evening and it's gonna be about the weekend tactic like mental game or choices whatever happens and awesome. yeah if you have some questions just hit me in my dm and i'll try to answer it I know you've been wanting, expecting more, bloody well close, talk to us. No, it's good, I've, uh, I give myself a little kick up the arse after Fort William, you know, and uh, been working really hard on like covering all bases and crossing all my T's and dotting all my I's and it's been really tough this week with challenging conditions on the track and I was happy when I saw it was going to dry up and people might think the opposite of me but I want a good race down there and it's it's hard when it's so shit up like it has been so I'm just like it's like a, a relief you know to get this for me since 2019 I haven't been on the podium when I won in snowshoe so it's a relief for me and for my team and we've been working hard you know they turned that bike around in no time they're a massive company and I've been with some big companies before and they don't change very often, as you well know. So, um, yeah, I'm just happy for everybody. And what about taking your daughter on the, the hot seat? Yeah, oh, it's special? just special, yeah. I mean, what more can you want? That's pretty cool. So even though it was grim weather and someone would think you do well in the wet, you want a fair race? I want a fair race and it's just horrible, this bottom section here when it's wet. It's like so thick. It's not like you can find grip or it's just dreadful, so it's, it's like a roll of the dice. And even today it was a little bit like that, but the rest of the track was really good, so. Well, I enjoyed, mate. Thank Enjoy. you. Cheers. This has been your Crank Brothers race review. That was Alan Milway, coach and clearly head doctor to some of the top athletes in the world. We all know <laughs> they probably need more the psychologist than a coach at some point. 
But uh, they are synonymous with downhill racing. I've told you about the titles they've won, and they've literally added to their awesome pedals. They've got shoes and way more. You see those riders out there, Laurie Greenland, Bernard Kerr. He's an extrovert, that's for sure. Lucas Shaw, <laughs> probably an introvert. Cammy, I'm on the fence. She seems, seems extroverted. So, guys, until the next one, hit us up with any feedback. Maybe you've got some questions. We'll have Sven back on at some point. We'll drag Alan back in here. We'll see if we get a ride or two. But, uh, yeah, like, subscribe. You know what to do. We'll see you on the other side. Enjoy. Thank you.